0: Far east of the Sword Coast, the Shadowvar and Eskevrin have fallen. The Shadow Storm is no more. Sembia is fractured into city-states. A mysterious hero rises from the ashes to usher in a new era of prosperity. Yet there is still suffering. Cormyr and the wild elves of the Dale lands offer war on all sides... Earth motes, madness, and shadow dragons plague the lands. These are the tales of the heroes who ended that suffering. 1491 DR, the year of Sembian revival.
1: Welcome everyone to the podcast. I have what will be my second to last interview for season four. And, and I actually waited a little too long for this. We've, we've interviewed most of the other cast members, and in fact, all of the other cast members, except for somebody here who has played probably more characters than anybody else on the cast. Uh, and I'm talking about my, my friend, Ben. Uh, so Ben, w- welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you've played, gosh, I'm looking I'm thinking back to all the people you've played and you've played Hitmen, Bounty Hunters, Lizard Folk, Shatterkai, you played Fearin the Elf, Tunori Morgul, you played one of the Godfreys in Culta. You played Icosios, the Sphinx, Kean the Barkeep. Probably the character you spent the most time playing was Aedon. And gosh, I'm just wondering, I didn't plan to ask this question first, but it, it seems to fit. What which of those were your favorite characters to play? Well,
0: that's a great question. So, I mean, obviously I was not part of the actual campaign, which I'm very sad about. Cause the more that I like every script that I, that I'm part of and I read I'm like, man, this was a really awesome, deep uh, adventure. Um, so it's kind of cool to see it from the outside eyes. Um, so I played a lot of just like incidental characters to help it going on. But I think the one that I'm most, 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 most favorite was Adon, just because uh, I've played Adon the most with this winged, the feline. Uh, but it's connection. I think it's most. It's the it's the character that has the most connection to the other characters, um, Siren and 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 all the others. Um, the other ones that really resonate with me are uh, Tenori, Tenori Morgil, the dragon, and then the one that I think that I cut my teeth on the best to get into the scenario was actually Fearin. Um yeah. I feel like I really nailed the voice for the elf and the the affect uh of of this kind of reserved but very intense and very uh just present uh character. But I think that was just early. I think that just really just got me into really I, I feel like what it clicked. Um playing tenori has been great. I just feel like the the shift in Tenori about being this dragon and, and being a typical dragon to then actually one that's more aligned with what the party is trying to get at is really cool but uh adon to me is the one just i feel like there's a lot of pathos in in adon uh in in just steering these characters in the right direction and then the this ultimate sacrifice which i think in the end wasn't really even adon's ultimate sacrifice it was just a way to keep the party moving along it was really uh, for me really awesome
1: so, so Ben, you mentioned you mentioned why you love D anD D, and I'm curious about that. So, uh, you you know this this campaign goes back, gosh, almost three years now, and and so that was that was actually before I met you virtually. You've become a, a core group of of my party, my D anD D party, and when I say my, I mean collectively our uh, party. So, but but you've been in several campaigns since this campaign, and I'm just wondering, like. Could you tell us how you d- how you discovered D anD D and how you developed your love for that? Oh
0: man, such a great question! Thank you. So I go way back, right? So I'm born 1970. In 1981, when I'm in fifth grade, my friend Jim Porter just turned me on to the the game. Uh, just a friend of mine from elementary and early middle school. And uh, he turned me on a basic D and was like, you got to play this game. I've been, I've been, I bought it. We, I've been reading about it. So I, we did, we, some keep module that we did. Um, I can't remember it. I played a fighter, but remember like basic D This is like the first real versions from a D and D. Yeah. Um, I,
1: have the, I have the boxes right here next to me. Oh, excellent.
0: <laughs> excellent. So that was the first introduction, 1981. I, I fell in love playing a fighter. Um, and then I really, I just got into AD&D as a, as a middle schooler, fifth, sixth grade. Seventh grade was really the blossoming. I just got into it. Eighth grade, we had a D&D club. Uh, I remember I were I memorized. I, th- I, tried, I pretended that I memorized every single rule. I didn't. But um, we had a test, a hundred question test that you had to pass to be part of the club. But the yeah, I mean, it was silly. But the point is, I just fell in love with the game. I, I love the fantasy of it, um, playing fighters In the end, uh, the two characters that I really, really just fell in love with was the um, druid uh, in AD&D and then the bard, which was like, you know, a back page extension class, which you had to be like a fighter and a thief. And you had to take a couple of classes and magic users. And and AD&D was crazy. You had to take uh, levels and then stop. You couldn't ever go back and then move on to the next one. And then take levels and move on to this. So multi-classing was very difficult except for the fighter magic user. But anyway, the the, the the just the esoterica of it, I just loved. I love all the rules. But for me, it was always the fantasy of these, these worlds. And we would just play forever. So I played all the way through um, the beginning of high school and loved it. And then really fell off it probably about 1985, maybe 86. I played a little bit and uh, then didn't really play uh, for years and then popped up when I was a counselor in a summer camp at a dysfunctional group of uh, kids who were about 11, 12 years old. But one kid had a DD and d set, I couldn't even tell you, I mean, this is maybe the summer of 91. Uh, so I don't even know what version it was, but he had a D&D set and I would DM them. And it's the only way I was able to keep the peace for long periods of time with the kids. And then I did an after-school program later on with D&D, and then uh, I'm an educator. I'm a principal now, and I basically fell into uh, running D&D activities as kind of social skills groups with kids. And that's kind of where I was for years. My nephew got into it, uh, and I played with my kids and my nephew, uh, my two daughters and my niece and my nephew. That was a lot of fun, got their friends into it, but I was always been a DM just forever. And uh, when our friend Chris, who plays with us, uh, plays Siren, kind of hit me up and says, you know, I have a crew that plays. You should really join us. That's kind of how I got back into really being a player. So I really, I think between about 86 and when I joined you folks, I hadn't really been a tried and true player.
1: Oh, man. But now you and I both look forward to this every week, don't we? Yeah, Totally. <laughs> Uh, Well, so my next question was going to be about, um, about the realms and uh, forgotten realms. But if you're like me, if you've been playing since the eighties, right. Then you have spent time in the realms without even knowing it probably, right? Like, Right, the Oriental Adventures. Um, I just ordered the original Forgotten Realms uh, box set um, uh, because uh, I'm I'm doing my homework for for Ed's interview, and I'm just like, man, these things. You know, some of these things I had as a kid, and I have some of my original box sets right here next to me. But you know, what what was weird, kind of getting back into the realms uh, about ten years ago, is I realized. I'd been in the realms before. I, I'd spent so much of my time in the realms, I didn't even know. So can can you can you tell us like d- do you remember your first time like talking about water deep or or being on the sword coast or or something similar?
0: Yeah, so I will tell you actually, no, I can't because uh the first thing I remember was Greyhawk, right? And uh I remember back in the 80s, and it was my friend Jim I, who I mentioned. Uh, he had gone from basic to AD&D, and we had done that. And he really went really deep into it. So he had bought the map, the Greyhawk map, which I think had just come out in the early 80s. And I remember being really intimidated. And, and actually, that's where he and I broke off because I just still wanted to play adventures. We were just making crap up, right? Yeah. Oh, here's a dungeon. Here's graph paper. Or we would go and buy a module, right, B1 or B4 from uh, the local bookstore, and we would run it. And so that's all for me that it was, was going into dungeons that were pre-made or making our own stuff up. But I remember he went really into it and he had um, the whole thing with like keeps and henchmen and the whole thing with charisma, which I didn't understand at all as a play, as a young (laughs) player. And it wasn't even, I think for many of the... um, Charisma was really important for fighters, but there weren't a lot of charisma based characters in AD&D. So charisma was all about gaining henchmen and building armies, more than it was about. Uh, I think uh, bards, sorcerers, right, warlocks, uh, or even you know thieves, rogues, all have this charisma based uh, action, which I think is all very new to me as an adult. So I remember being really intimidated by Greylock and be like, oh, that's something that's just too much for me, um, and then always being jealous of people who could understand that. And then always making up my adventures through the years and then joining you folks. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these DMs and these players are all like f- totally comfortable, A, playing in these realms. But B, like just making adventures based on the real lore and history that A, that is exists, but B, that people have made up and that they're all online and learning about it. So I think I've been really fascinated by that. I was really impressed by some of the work that you folks have done in creating uh work with both max in the in the um the crystal barrow adventure that we did but then what you and marco did i think was just so awesome uh, when we worked uh, in, Cormier. in Cormier and as you know i just dove so hard into the history because i was i was just so excited so so intrigued by it um so this again i don't know much about sembia right but then being part of this adventure and the, or the scripts of this adventure. Again, I'm learning a lot about Cynthia right next to Cormier and, and all the, all the history. So I I would say that for me, this is all new just in the past kind of almost two years that we've been playing. And as an adult, there's a titillation about doing something that I felt like I couldn't do as a kid.
1: Well, I can, I can tell you for me, um, you know, I've been DMing a lot the last ten years, but but they're it's a very different style for me than I'm used to. I grew up doing what you did. Like we would, you know, we would be at the playground, my friends and I, without dice, without paper. We would be this would be total like theater of the mind. Like you, what you said, what you did in the DM, you trusted the DM to make like a fair decision, right? Like and and then we told stories. We did we did X X Men adventures. We did like you know just like anything that you can think of whatever we were watching on tv that's what we played um we did you know a lot a ton of classic D. but like what's cool is um last weekend i started playing with my kids like actually crack crack open the books like make characters from scratch and and my sessions are so different and it just harkens me back to these days where you know you could just use your imagination and i think that the next time i dm with you guys it's going to be a lot more of that and less about the rules because you know, you know, that stuff really isn't that important to me, but I've had to kind of tailor my DMing uh for my players and 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 I just want to get back to that. I just want to get back to telling stories. And of course that, that's what this podcast is about. So um let's let's go on to the next question though. Um I, I do I'm curious, you, you hinted at this, but I'm but I'm wondering if so far you've had like a favorite scene or or favorite script um so far in in the podcast you know it doesn't have to necessarily even involve your characters but it could
0: yeah so i'll tell you the the, the favorite for me which i mentioned that i was involved with was that the death of adon and and, and Siren, just because it felt relational i felt invested in it um, yeah and chris is such a great voice actor that I, i'm just always I'm just always inspired by him but i will say that 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 personally was important, but the thing that I've been actually most uh, touched by was the Sonia and the, um, the source. And the, I was actually sad when the source revealed itself to all the other characters. And I felt uh, narr- from a narrative sense, but also from a character sense, that the relationship between Sonia and the source, when it was still um, secret to everyone and she was still working that out. Was super powerful, and I feel feel like really defined really defined the adventure to me. So that, oh, that was what yeah. I think. I think that resonated the most with me.
1: Oh wow, yeah, I didn't even realize. What about what about Tenori? What, what do you think? I'm, I'm curious. Um, so in the last episode that aired, um, Tenori Matoa flew in on Tenori, um, and um, you know when when all hope seemed lost for our characters, right? They were they were between the ballista bolts of Selgaunt the shaking plague folks from scardale and then this dragon comes to this shadow dragon comes a uh, griff and, and, and so they're kind of like surrounded on all sides and they could teleport, but Siren's afraid they're going to end up in a wall. Um, and, and then out of nowhere comes Matoa riding a black dragon, which, you know, when you first met Tenori, you didn't think that was going to happen because number one, it was a black dragon. Number two, it was already pissed at the characters because, you know, the characters were somewhat in league or, or seeking out the people of Drelt, the dragon hunters from Drelt. Um, and somehow this black dragon has has appeared as this um, figure of salvation, right? Um, so so what, what do you think is going to transpire between Tenori and Griff?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So going back to like my original experience with AD&D, like the Monster Manual, you had like Tiamat and Bahamut you had metallic dragons and you had the chromatic dragons and it was so, just so black and white, so evil and good. Right. And I think D and D has always been that, but has been, and I feel like with, uh, not just fifth edition, but I think also just the desire of players to really make human and humane, uh, experiences, um, I love that the, the the crossing and the and the transgressions and the like. Why can't a black dragon have connections to other uh, creatures that cross right. over the evil and good? Why can't um? Why, why does uh? Why does your heritage right define you and all that kind of thing? So, I I really love this idea that uh, uh you know, Tenori was is an evil dragon. It's just you know sows uh mayhem and and evil sure. and. Has all those things that dragons do with gathering treasure or power or whatever, and I remember that from the first uh, uh, scripts that I was a part of, where I was playing Tenori, and uh, there was around the city, and and just Tenori had been, you know, the black dragons were taking over, and then all of a sudden, oh, Tenori's a, a creature, it, it, human, right? But a human in the sense of it has a, a personality and it has desires and ambitions and and also connections and loves and things like that. So I just feel like this backstory of who is Tenori that now all of a sudden Matoa is riding in um and that these other dragons are actually typical dragons. They're evil and 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 um looking out for their own where Tenori is actually looking out for some ideal or some outcome which is uh, which is bigger than that. So yeah I'm hoping as I always do with any DNC campaign that there's just more sessions. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. 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 Well, we, we are nearing the end. Um, I know. I don't ever like
0: to hear that from the DM. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: we have, we have four, um, you know, narrative sessions left. Um, we have a, we have an, um, an all cast reunion. We'll have, um, we'll have the interview with Ed and then, and then the last episode, and I think this is the first time I've said this publicly, but the last episode is going to be all of the narrative episodes so anything with the script, all back to back to back. Yep. So it's gonna be so it's gonna be about six hours of story, right? Think of it as like a, you know, like an audio book, uh, like a you know, um, dramatized audio book, and uh, so that's that's the plan. There's you know, there's not there's only a few episodes left, um, and and actually this leads me into my next question. Um, with the few episodes that are left. Um, you know, we've seen these characters progress from like, oh my gosh, somebody's chasing us run. Right. Like, let's just, that's our only, that's the only thing we can do is we could, we just run. And then we've, and we've seen like a shift, right. Where, you know, I think it happened as early as like the swamps when you start seeing Jendal, like being like, I'm not leaving Sonia. Right. You see Jendal carrying Sonia through the swamps and you see, you know, uh, Sonya falls at one point here and starts like picks up his swords and starts like defending Sonya. Uh, and, and so, so all of like, you've seen these pr- characters get more courageous and more powerful. So I'm wondering about, you know, the powers that they're developing, right? Like it's almost like these characters are leveling quickly before our eyes. We saw Jendal using a quivering palm against a wall inside of the hole of Yawn instead of using it on a person. He sort of vibrated his hands into the wall and rubble fell on, on uh on the dragon there we've seen um we've seen siren pull out this this crazy magical arrow which is like a movable rod but it's it's an immovable arrow right we've seen sonya who who has be, sort of like become like a powerful sorcerer or like or mind mage or whatever scion whatever you want to call her she's she doesn't have the source anymore yet she, she's still like you know probably the most powerful in the group um, yeah we're we're about to see Matoa do something really cool so but i'm wondering and here's the question um do you have any abilities that that you would like to see one of these classes the bard the sorcerer the ranger the monk or whatever hashka is um do you have something that you would like to see them do like a like a high level spell or some sort of you know high level ability
0: oh that's such a good question um sonia is the for me i Again, and this may not be your intention, but I like that the way that Sonia interacted with the source and the way that the source is the kind of core to the mysticism of the campaign. I just feel like Sonya's apotheosis, some some kind of ultimate leveling and 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 magic connection and almost planar disruption for Sonia seems to me like uh something that could really be exciting for the story. Mm-hmm. Um and then something about magic weapons or the inhabitation of spirits or, or personalities in in magic weapons. And then connecting that to the, the dragons would be a a really cool way of doing things. And then these other characters being around that uh, somehow about their integrity makes them connected and elevated in in this piece uh, would be really cool. Hmm.
1: Well, you know, I don't always know what's going to come out.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I love about your script writing that like, You're like, uh, you, every week it's like, guess what happened?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm
0: like, I didn't know this was going to happen. I I love that. I love that. I feel like it's really inspiring for the, for the voicing of the characters.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I wish I could say that I planned it that way, but, um, you know, we had a, we had a rough idea, obviously of where the campaign was going to go. Um, we've strayed from that quite a bit at this point. Um, but, but, um, you know, the ending is not written. Like I have, I have some ideas about what I'd like to happen, but um, you know, things change from episode to episode. So I'm, I'm over here taking notes as you talk.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, I hope I, I hope my uh, my my vision was was helpful. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. Well, um, uh, are you gonna are you gonna be able to come back for the 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 cast reunion?
0: Oh, I love it. I mean, just invite me back. I, I'm I'm down.
1: All right. Well, um, anything else for the good of the order before I let you go?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just. I, I really like. Uh, this is the first time I've actually been part of like the the voicing out of a campaign in in the back vision, um, and I actually love it because there's always the intention of the DM, and then obviously the DM never can corral and intensify the the players, and so a campaign always takes on its own life. But then here you are, the DM who experienced this with the play the players and then most of them have come back to voice and then it has its own new life through your own script, right? And their own playing it out. Uh, I've never experienced this, this and I just, uh, it's given me a whole new perspective on DMing and, and, and being a character. So. Awesome. Really cool.
1: Well, it's been, we've been really fortunate to have you. And, uh, I, I only thing else I can say is, um, We'll see you on Thursday night for some D&D.
0: Oh, you betcha, man. Let's go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Have a good night. Peace.
1: Though this marks the end of the episode, the tale continues within a 10 day. Join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.